We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. But we won't. We're slowly learning that fact. And we're very, very pissed off. Well, looky here. It's podcasting time. Yeah, I really don't have a great... Uh, I'm still working on that intro. I haven't really figured out whether... Maybe I need a catchphrase or a... Liberty doo Chumba Wumba! It's podcasting! Yeah, I, I, I gotta work on it. I, you know, look, we don't all have to solve everything right now. You know, that's the joy of the technology age. Is you can go back seamlessly. You know, back in the olden days of typewriters... You were writing something, you had to write it. You had to write it straight through. You know, there was no inserting, there was no cutting. Well, there literally was cutting and pasting, but there was there was no ease of just writer's block. You know, there's no, uh, I'll get back to it in a minute. and Because otherwise you just have to type the whole thing all over again. And where's the fun in that? So we don't have to solve this problem right now. I'll um, I'll take this offline. Ah, now there is the appropriate use of that catchphrase. Take this offline. Okay, you can't use that in a meeting because you're not online. You're in a meeting. There are there you're as offline as you can possibly be, right? Because you are talking face-to-face with another person or group of people who are not online. I mean, you'd have to get online to get offline to talk about this. So really what you should say is, this is not the time for this. This isn't, we're not, let's not do it in this meeting. Let's have a small group. Let's talk one-on-one. There's a thousand other ways to say that and have it be better talk offline so we got a lot of stuff in the news i'm and by news i mean my personal news not you know the world news no 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 in my news i um shaved off the goatee and beard uh for a audition that i went on last night that did not go well it went okay you know this was another situation and uh, where it did not go well, but I still did better than the other two people in the room. So we'll see. Um, anyway, I shaved it off because my headshot, I'm not, I don't have it on. I hadn't started doing that yet. And I, the role was for somebody younger than me. And that's one of the reasons why I always grew the goatee is because I always felt without it, I looked like I was 12. Um, and it turns out, without it, I actually look older. Apparently, there is like some sort of... I, I guess the, the goatee is sort of age-specific, right? Like, it kind of just roots you in late 20s, early 30s. When you're 18 and you grow it, then you catapults you up. But then when you're past your early 30s, maybe it kind of hopefully drags you back a little bit and plus there's a lot of gray in my goatee so i shaved it off because i figured well and i dyed my hair too i went i went all out for this and i knew i knew this movie is gonna suck because i we got a sample of the script as part of the uh 
Hey, you've been selected to audition for this process. Here's the script that you'll be reading from. Uh, and the script is terrible. Um, and it's short, which is its saving grace. But yeah, it's terrible. Uh, but I just, you know, I don't know. It's one of these things. I've been unemployed for six months now. I feel like I got to keep moving. I got to keep, I got to treat this stuff seriously to sort of, I don't know, keep the momentum going or something. I, I don't know. Oh, in other me news, um, I, my new favorite podcast, for those of you who are looking for other podcasts, is uh, John Oliver and Andy Saltzman's uh, The Bugle, which is uh, a product of the London Times newspaper. They do, they, John Oliver, you might remember, uh, from The Daily Show. He's the British guy, and he's also the, uh, teacher in Community, which is the sitcom I was plugging last time. Um, and it's very good. It's, it's a podcast though where you really have to pay attention because the jokes are very fast, very British, and they talk quickly. But, I highly recommend it if you are looking for other podcasts, and it's very funny. So definitely check it out. The Bugle, starring John Oliver and Andy Saltzman. Oh, also in uh, news about uh, me, uh, I've just put up a store on the website where you can buy t-shirts. Um, they're kind of expensive, and I've never used this company before, so I'm not sure about the quality, but I, you know, I made high-res versions of them. I uploaded them. We'll see. Uh, hopefully, uh, they're all based on, uh, Dan Gard's, um, illustrations that he did when I worked with him a hundred years ago, and they're all based on the, uh, the bathroom signage, you know, the blue with the white and then the word underneath. Anyway, go to UGTV.org, click on the store link and uh, check it out. They're at least, at the very least, they're they're worth a laugh. Oh, and finally in me news, uh, I went to the batting cages and I had only gone to the batting cages, I think, once. Uh, you know, three or four years ago, uh, we went for a guy's bachelor party and I sucked just horribly at it. But I thought, you know, I got some free time. Let's just go down and check it out and see how it goes. I don't know if it, the, the batting cages are different or I, somehow I got better because I hadn't been doing any sort of hand-eye coordination. But I actually did get better and it was a lot of fun. Um, but boy, I got a little cocky. I went from the medium to the fast. And when the fastball comes at you and you actually make contact with the bat, it just rattles every bone in your body. It's amazing. It's just like, and you're like, wow, I don't, I don't know if I really want to do this more. So I'm going to just, I'm keeping going. I'm going to the medium cages, but it's a, it's a very rewarding to do sort of these semi manly exploits, you know, where you're hitting something and not just, you know, sitting there with your controller and pushing the X button when the ball comes at you. This isn't really me news, but, you know, in the early mornings or late evenings where I'm either waking up or falling asleep, I have these thoughts and they're usually quite peculiar. And one of them, I, I was, I think I was waking up and I had this idea of when you make the decision to become a porno actor, it really just changes everything. 
Because on the surface, it sort of seems like, oh, okay, you know, I've on the surface, I've made the decision that, you know, a bunch of people will see me naked. I'm going to have sex in a room where other people are standing around, filming it, recording it, you know, doing craft services, things, you know, that that is the surface level. But I think what most people really don't understand once you get below that layer is the it, it changes so much more than just the performance, right? Like, for instance, if you're a dude, like no woman outside of the industry will ever, ever want to date you. I mean, if if even if you had quit the porn industry for 10 years and she finds out or you even you tell her, she's going to be like, no, I don't know. I don't want to be with you who has been with, you know, hundreds of other women. No. And for both men and women trying to get any kind of regular job after you've worked in porn is almost impossible, you know, because in the olden days, porn was just so much more limited, right? Like it's a back room that you have to get a key for in a video shop. And the amount of porn out there was considerably less than it is now. And now it's on the internet and there's just so much of it on the internet that the chances of somebody stumbling across it are much greater, now, mind you, of course, the volume is increased, so the amount that they have to sift through is just so much more. But the idea that you could be at an office job and then all of a sudden, eh, eh, hey, look what I found. Look at you. You know, and if you're a dude and now you're known as this porn star, yeah, that's not going to go well. They're not going to want to uh, promote the porn star within the company. And I think more so then women, dudes are gonna have to get jobs after their porn career. Unless you're, like, super smart and marketing savvy and you can become a director and market these films and really get in the back end of the industry, then uh, you're really gonna have to do something else because these dudes don't make that much money. I mean, being a dude in porn is not where the money's at. Because any, you know, the dude is just almost an afterthought. I mean, yeah, there are the rare, rare stars, but really that was back in the day. I mean, there really aren't very many name brand porno stars, dude porno stars anymore. So you're going to have to get a job after the fact. And that's the other thing is going into it. As a dude, you're like, hey, look, if I was 18 and somebody said, okay, we're going to pay you to have sex with hot women. Now, mind you, in today's society, hot women, uh, in, the women in porn are way hotter than they were back when I was 18. But let's just pretend I'm 18 now. And they said, hot women get paid sex. Done. Let's go. But, you know, I wouldn't have really considered all the other ramifications. <laughs> Ram. Anyway, these are just the, the things I think about in my waking moments. And in crazy lady news, for those of you who are friends with me on Facebook, you'll know that down the street from us, we have a nut job who collects garbage. 
and not just collects a little bit. No, 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 no. I mean, it's, it's filled to the ceiling with garbage. And you know, and I know this because, uh, we live in an Eichler neighborhood and all the Eichler houses have a little row, a little, little short row of windows along the top. And you can see the garbage peeking out. And then, uh, she has these two cars in front and they're filled with garbage. She has a camper in back. You can see is filled with garbage. She collects garbage. So a couple of months ago, something happened. Um, the details of which I'm none too clear on, but apparently it got to the point where the police could get involved. How awesome is that, right? Um, I know if it was me and all of a sudden the police show up and say, you got to get rid of all your junk, I'd be like, what? This is America. I love my junk. I'll keep it here. This is my stuff. But if I'm the neighbor and there's broken glass in front of the yard and I got to walk through that, you know, in order to get around the corner to my place on my way home from Trader Joe's, then I'm mad and I want that taken care of. So they did. Boy, they swooped in like locusts. Uh, She went away for a couple of weeks and four big uh, trucks showed up and people were hauling stuff out of there all day. And they did a great job of cleaning up the front yard and the side yard and everything. It looked good. The cars were gone. No problem. Well, now she's back and she's starting to accumulate garbage again. But what's really interesting is, and this kind of gets to today's theme a little bit, is this woman is dedicated. Dedicated to crazy. Because uh, what's going on is across the street, the people are uh, tearing out a lot of concrete, uh, but their front yard is just four feet tall and the entire front yard full of broken up concrete. And the crazy lady has taken it upon herself to take some of that concrete. I don't know why. I don't know what value it is to her. I don't know if she feels like Well, look, I'm not going to try to examine the crazy. But she is so dedicated to her crazy, she is lugging it across the street back to her place and stacking it right in the front yard. And every day, there's a little bit more. And she's got a wheelbarrow right in front. Barrow? 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 Don't know. Uh, And the pile keeps growing. Now, as someone who has broken up concrete in my life, This is how dedicated to crazy she is, is before when she was accumulating junk, it was like um, uh, little uh, glass or plastic keychains. Okay, what what, each one of those, what does that weigh? Like what a quarter weighs? What is that, a gram? Concrete is heavy, man. It's like, hey, man, each one weighs a minimum of 15 pounds and the bigger ones that she has probably 25 30 pounds this and and i understand she has a wheel barrel 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 thing she's got a wheel thing to lug them across the street but still you have to throw them in you have to wheel them over you have to throw them out or dump them but even dumping them it never really works quite right but i'm saying I've done this, and this I know is true dedication. Like, I I should have had her come over to our place when we were doing this, and we'd be like, wow, you know, <sighs> this poor concrete's just going to get thrown away. Boy, that's a shame. 
And maybe maybe there's something in her where she thinks concrete is a living being, but really, it would just be me sort of trying to figure out where the crazy is, like why she holds on to all this stuff. I can't just come out and say like, listen, you are batshit crazy, and why do you have all this junk? I can't do that, because then she'll get defensive and she won't take my concrete. Uh, but it would be nicer if I could just, you know, maybe maybe she thinks it's alive. Oh, these poor concrete souls are just going to get crushed. Maybe they have cosmic power. Oh, I, I'm too deluded with the riches of the concrete power. Please, someone release me from this torment. Oh, there's got to be a way that this can work for all of us, where we can just get her to take this stuff away. Now, I understand... Bad news for the neighbors, but look, she keeps it on her land, I don't care. And then, yeah, right, it's ugly, I get it, but you know, the only problem I had was that there was glass on the sidewalk, and the dog wanted to eat it. And what is up with the dog wanting to eat glass? Really? I mean, it's sharp? I mean, what did she do, dunk it in milk bones or something before she threw it on her lawn and crushed it up? I don't know. Anyway, there's gotta be a way she can work... For all of us, because she's got all this energy, clearly. And this is another thing, man. She is not a young woman. She's old. And if she's got that much energy, you know, I see her walking to Trader Joe's and I I see her. uh, Clearly, she's got the pile of concrete. There's no way she's talking to those guys, the immigrant workers who are breaking up the concrete to drag this over. She's doing this herself. So what's really sad now is that she's tougher than me. Right? Like, I was struggling to do this sort of work. She does it for fun! Wow. That is dedication to crazy. When you are so crazy that you will do uncomfortable manual labor that no one is paying you for, for fun! That's dedication. Cheers to you, crazy lady. This one's for you. But now, let's get to today's topic of the zealot. His name is Robert Paulson. His name Shut is up. Robert Paulson. This is all the way. His name is Robert Paulson. 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 His name is Robert. Now when you say zealot You usually think of the religious zealot, but really zealot is just anybody who is just overly enthusiastic about whatever that thing is, and they really bug the hell out of me. And in fact, I'm sort of the walking contradiction. I mean, I am the zealot against the zealot. I I know we were going to wait on that and wrap that up with a nice little bow at the end and guess what it all means. But come on, you're all smarter than that. You already took, you know, the the uh, history classes where they uh, explain all the symbolism. You knew it was coming. So I just let's just turn over all the cards right now. And what really drives me crazy is the zealot who loves the thing that I think makes no sense. Right. Like, for instance, the vinyl zealot. Really? What do you love so much about vinyl? Is it the crackling? Is it the hissing? Is it um, that you have to blow dust off of it? And No, really? Really? Or are you just 
hanging on to this vestige. Like, I mean, why don't you just love carbon paper, too? Isn't that so much fun and banging on the typewriter keys and the way they all jam together? Wait a minute. I think I've already complained about that. That was some, some NPR rant. Anyway, really? Vinyl zealots? Good God. I mean, look, if you want something to sound warmer... You know, there's ways to do that on CDs. You don't have to go to vinyl. It's the fact if you don't like CDs, then that just means that the person who is recording it is doing it wrong. Vinyl to me is everything that is wrong. I mean, even audio cassettes have more endurance than vinyl. I know that there's probably ways that you can handle vinyl and you get the right stylus and so it, it make the, the physical contact does not degrade your vinyl. But good God almighty, what a pain in the ass that all is. And really, you know, here's, here's also, I think, what really bugs me about the vinyl zealot. And, and, you know, the vinyl zealot is also the audiophile who buys, you know, $50,000 speakers and acoustically treats the room. Uh, and, you know, measures the placement of the speakers. And it's like, really, who has this much time? I mean, A, I understand you might have that much money, but who has that much time that you could sit in the dark in your perfectly aligned chair right between the two speakers and really just soak up whatever crappy vinyl you're listening to? I think that's what really bugs me is they've got so much free. I mean, I'm unemployed and I don't feel like I have that kind of time where I can just sit there and just soak it in. No, I'm multitasking, man. I've got my iPod in, and I'm listening to stuff, and I'm walking around, and I'm putting away dishes, and I'm doing things, man. I'm driving in my car. I'm doing things. Yeah! God, I wish I had that kind of free time. That just sounds awesome. Like, just not only free time, but guilt-free time. Oh, how awesome does that sound? Because how many times... I'm going to get real close. I'm going to get real intimate. I'm going to get into your head. How many times have we just sat still, guilt-free, right? Sounds good, doesn't it? Like, you're not feeling bad, you ain't getting stuff done. You got girls just want to have fun on the TV screen and watching Sarah Jessica Parker do her dance-off. And you don't feel bad at all. No, sir. You are watching Helen Hunt dance around in her tide-dyed, acid-washed gym shorts. And you're thinking, this is just all right. Oh, doesn't that sound nice? Yeah, it does. But who does that? Who has that kind of time? Nobody. Uh, except for these people who sit around and listen to vinyl. The other thing that drives me crazy are tube people who are very, very close to the vinyl people. But the tube people extend out into uh, the music recording world. And, and, and this is the other thing about the music recording world is these people... They are zealots with very little information. And I'm not talking about the professionals and the, and the award-winning producers. I'm talking about the musicians who show up and they're like, oh man, uh, we heard once that uh, you, you're not supposed to cross the cables because it, it gets too much interference. And so we got to uh, make sure we align every cable in the room at a perfect 90 degrees. No, shut up. 
if we have a problem, we will tackle it. Yes, best practices is we'll do that as much as we can, but we're not going to run around like lunatics, you know, measuring with a protractor to make sure your cables are perfectly aligned. Because you know what? It doesn't matter. And and for all you tube people, I once was uh, in a band, and uh, this woman came in from another band, because we, we were all in the same rehearsal space, and she comes in, and she says, oh, that's a, that amp is a great amp. Is that tube uh, or solid state? And I said, that's solid state. And she goes, oh, man. And I was playing bass in this band, and she says, oh, there's nothing better than just a warm bass tube amp. And I'm like, really? Okay, maybe on the recording, but in a, in a band, in a live application, are you kidding me? You can barely hear the bass at all anyway in most live situations, certainly in the small crappy clubs you're playing in and I'm playing in, but the the bass is just competing with everything else. I mean, the guitar cuts through, the vocals cut through, the drums and bass are fighting it out. I mean, you can barely hear it at all. And you're going to tell me that I should have spent an extra $400 to get the tube versions and try and replace the tubes. But no, you can't get just any old tubes. You got to get the dead Russian tubes from, you know, the 50s that you have to sort through on eBay and outbid over every single person. No, no, no. It tells you it does not make a difference. This is another thing that bothers me about the Zealot, is the stuff where it doesn't matter. Oh, and then, in, in, in addition to the recording studio, is the people who, the people who get crazy about the audio recording process. Oh man, we got, you know, like I had a teacher once who was like, oh, y'all have to have isolated sound and, you know, you can't have anything bleed into anything else. And no, no. If you have a good song and it's not, you know, distorted or messed up in some way, I mean, honestly, you could get a good song and record it through a Dixie cup and a string. And if it's a good song, people will buy it and people will listen to it. You know, and, and, and the whole debate over uh, analog versus digital recording, you know, two-inch tape, the, the tape holds 16 minutes of information. Not much. It's two inches wide. Uh, it, the machines have to be calibrated. Uh, and, and the tapes themselves, I think, are like a hundred bucks a piece. I mean, it's ridiculous. And for what? Oh, I like the old tape sound. It sounds so foul. Oh, screw you. You know what? Because I know you suck and you're not a good musician and I'm going to have to do punch-ins and punch-outs and I might accidentally delete something you did and for what? <sighs> no, we're going digital. We're putting it on a hard drive and I'm cutting and pasting your crappy performance and I'm using all the pitch-shifting tools I have to correct your off-pitch. No, no, no. We're going digital. And the thing is, is yes, I understand if you are sitting and somebody recorded it one way with all tube gear and, you know, super spiffy microphones and perfect tonal isolation and you compared it against the one that they didn't, you could hear a difference. But nobody, nobody is going to listen to it that way, right? You're going to listen to it the way it's been recorded. And unless it's got, you know, things are distorted or it's hiss or there's a ton of room sound, you know, all the things I complain about where people's podcasts suck. 
And, and those podcasts are so bad, they are unlistenable. But unless you're in that kind of environment where you're listening between the two or there's some fatal flaw, just do it. You know, people like uh, oh, Les, Les Paul, the guy who recently died, invented multi-track recording. He, he, all, he was all about the performance. You know, he owned his own recording studio, some big, you know, 50-channel digital studio. And he'd have these classic, you know, musicians in there. I think Ella Fitzgerald laid down, not Ella Fitzgerald, Ella Fitzgerald? Yeah, Ella Fitzgerald. She would lay down on a couch because it hurt for her to stand. And he'd just put a microphone over and she'd sing. You know, if you go to any of these audio purists, they, they were, oh, no, you have to stand and you have to stand this way and well, you have to use this microphone and we have to, no. Oh, Frank Sinatra, he would refuse to wear headphones. So they had to put PA monitors in front of the microphone and angle them in such a way that the phase would cancel out into the microphone. Pain in the ass. But it's about the performance. Katie Lang, she has one of those recording studios in her house, so she can just run down to her room any minute, throw up a microphone, play. It's not the the greatest stuff in the world. It's not, you know, a million-dollar recording facility. It's not, you know, perfectly dampened walls. But it's all about the performance. You know, if she has to wait and get to a million-dollar facility to record this, eh, it's not going to be as good. I mean, that... A lot of it is the moment. And I understand. You know, I was one of these guys, too. When I was younger, I was all about the audio purity and then this and then that. And, and then you just got to step back for a second and say, really, what's going to make the difference? Is a great performance going to make the difference? Or your pure audio signal going to make the difference? Yeah, there you go. But now, in today's society of buzzwords and catchphrases and things, we actually have a term for the person who can hear no wrong. The fanboy. Uh, fanboys drive me crazy. Fanboys are people who will not hear whatever negative thing you have to say about whatever fanboyness they embody. Which drives me insane because to me, there is nothing that is 100% good and 100% bad. You know, every review of everything I ever have is, I liked this, I didn't like this. And that's just the way it goes. And more so, you have to admit when the thing you love starts to suck. And when, and I am the exact opposite kind of fan, right? Like when something I love starts to suck, you would think I despised that thing. But really, what I, what I am is just so disappointed that it's not where it was. So, for instance, the show 30 Rock. Great first couple of seasons. And then this most recent season, halfway through it, it was really like, wow, this is bad. And it really just drove me crazy because it was so freaking good. And I, I used to, in my last job, I fixed uh, Apple computers, Macintoshes, if you will. And I, there is a fanboy. Holy cow, is there a fanboy in the Mac community. If you go to the keynote for Macworld, it's just thick with them. They will applaud anything. 
And the fanboy comes in all kinds of forms, right? There's the video game platform fanboy, where I love PlayStation. No, I love Nintendo. No, I love Xbox. Wee! There's the computer fanboy. Apple can do no wrong. I loved whatever crappy product, whatever crappy overpriced product that they're going to try and sell me this time. I'm going to buy it right now. Wee! And what's really crazy about the fanboy is you can't say anything to them. And in fact, they get insanely defensive and they get angry that you would even dare to say that something they did that they love is wrong. They just can't. Not only can they not see the wrongness, they get angry when the wrongness is pointed out to them. Okay, so let's let's talk now about the religious zealot. Now, of course, that's what we all thought when we started this whole thing, so let's bring it around full circle and get down to the serious crazy. Now, the religious zealot has everybody beat, right? Like, I don't care what kind of dumb stuff you do, what kind of obsessive-compulsive disorder you have. You cannot touch the religious zealot because... There is no curing them. There is no rationalizing. There's nothing. Because they have a book, and they all have books. You know, that's all religions based on a book. Uh, I'm hoping in the religions in the future are going to have, like, slideshows, few masters, um, microfiche, boop, uh, DVDs, in which the religions are contained. Because honestly... The reading is a little dry. If you ever read any of these religious books, meh, a little on the not exciting side, you know, because the religions of the future, they're going to have to put up with short attention spans and, and, and people needing some zazz. Ah, give me the zazz. Uh, but every religion has a book. And in the book, it says, this is what you do, this is what you don't do. And of course, Every religion is incredibly vague. So the true crazy zealot can kind of make of the book what they want, right? So, of course, the good person, you know, looks at it and sees the good things in it. And, okay, well, I, you know, I don't hurt other people. All right, good. I can do that. But the crazy sees the crazy, and the other thing about the religious zealot is, is they are committed to dying for their religion. Now, I know there are you who love your video game consoles, but I doubt you are willing to die for them. And the reason why they're willing to die for them is because the religion promises them great things on the other side. You're, and honestly, though... I know there's been a lot of, of made of the 72 virgins on the other side that the, uh, the uh, 9-11 terrorists uh, claimed. How is that a perk? Right? Like, I, you know, I, I cannot say I've ever been with a virgin, but everybody who has that I have talked to says it is an awful, uncomfortable experience. It's a lot of pain involved, and it's kind of a downer. Now, that's fine when you're 16, but when you're 35 and when you're with some chick and, and you're like, yeah, woo, let's get it on. And she's like, yeah, no, I'm a virgin. 
Yeah, no, let's get it on. No, I'm, I'm saving myself for marriage. Yeah, but we're both dead. There is no marriage. No, no, I'm still going to wait. Thanks. I'm, I'm good. No, but uh, I, but, uh, uh. how about the religion that's like, look, you get 72 virgins on the other side. No, wait, strike that. You get 72 party girls with tight vaginas. Woo! Uh, I mean, really, what is the allure to the virgin? You know, because they have no benchmark. You are going to get 72 girls on the other side with tight vaginas and no memory of any other man. Yeah. And are drunk and will do crazy crap for you. But they didn't learn it from anybody else. They learned it from watching porno. Oh, and they're virgins only mentally, not physically, because that's uh, that's pain. But they, but they do. They're they're good and tight. So don't worry. <sighs> Boy, this you know starting this own your own religion business is tough work. You know, because you gotta I gotta try to figure out what inspires people and say like, yeah, you're gonna fight for me. You know, and this is the thing too is that I'm not just talking about your major religions either. I mean, the religious zealots like you know your David Koresh's and and all those guys, uh, Manson. I guess you could call Manson a religion. Crazy, but a religion. They're all committed to the afterlife, and so that's why no one's afraid to die. Ugh. All right, so I know I said when I started this podcast it wasn't gonna just be me yelling about stuff, but clearly, okay, I think. It's not going to, I should amend that. It's not going to always be me yelling about stuff. So clearly this one was me yelling all about stuff. Uh, But uh, coming up soon, we're going to have another guest on the show. And it's going to be more lighthearted and more interesting. I guarantee you. And it's going to be longer. So those of you who are on treadmills, you can just keep on running. So for me, Tyler Durden. The music of Bright Brown. We're going to do this one more time. Till then! Till then!